and welcome to another episode of Live Out Loud, Axis Web's new podcast showcasing conversations between artists about the issues facing their practice and the wider art world. I'm Lucy Wright and this week's episode is the first of a two-parter on care, how we can all practice self-care and care for others during a time of global pandemic. Care has been a growing subject of interest in the art world in recent times, with writers like Lisa Baraitza and Anne-Marie Moll helping us theorise its crucial place in the world, both now and looking to the future. Joining me are David Robinson, Lady Kit and Amelia Hawke, three artists with interest in care as part of the subject or the process of their artistic practice. This felt like quite a special episode to record. The conversation is really warm and generous, and I came away feeling hopeful and more, well, cared for than I had in a while. Care is something I feel lucky to experience in my own life, from family, friends, and even pets, but it's something I find conspicuously lacking from our political and economic systems a lot of the time. Care can sometimes feel like an afterthought, an indulgence, or even a kind of tyranny, like the leaflet from an unscrupulous employer exhorting us to practice self-care rather than giving workers a proper wage and suitable working conditions. But this was a reminder that care, both giving it and receiving it, is fundamental to our humanity, and it's possible to infuse our work with a logic of care, from the ways we interact with each other to how we develop and share our practice with the world. At this moment when care, especially healthcare, is a pressing concern globally, this is the conversation to listen to, to feel like there's a kinder, more compassionate way forwards, and that we can all play a part in creating it. As ever, this conversation was recorded at my kitchen table at home in Leeds via Google Hangouts, with David, Kit and Amelia joining me from their homes in Swindon, Newcastle and the West Midlands. The sound is predictably imperfect, but I hope that the occasional lapses in signal quality only contribute to a sense of the authenticity of this conversation, a testament to its DIY makings. I hope you enjoy it. First question is, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your practice? And I'll start with David. So my name is David Robinson. I am a painter and printmaker. I do a lot of drawing to express myself and to work out ideas and compositions. I'd say that I'm interested in people, but especially people in a context. I'd love to see people traveling, working, using their hands, interacting. Um, and it's the interaction and the movement that really interests me, really. In normal times, I'd be out with a sketchbook, jotting down what I see. But with self-isolation, I'm relying a lot more on imagination and um, gestural drawing, doing quick, quick scribble sketches to develop ideas. At the moment, um, I'm using the time to work on and develop a project that I started a year or so ago, um, which depicts the care that I received when I was a hospital inpatient here in Swindon at the Great Western Hospital. Did you want to say any more about that, David, or is that something that you want to talk about in the, the next question about how care informs your um, work? Maybe the next one, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. No, that was great. Thank you. Okay. All right. So same question to Amelia, please. So my name's Amelia Hawke, and I primarily work with performance installation and then do some video publications and clothing as well. But the way I work is by interviewing people. So a little bit like a podcast but it will be people that I want to work with who are perhaps in a precarious or vulnerable position. So I've worked with job centre users, 
or homeless Romani people. And really what I want to do is tell their stories or find an issue that I want to talk about. So it could be that the discrimination that people are facing on the streets, particularly if they're from a Roma background and trying to work to earn money, or it could be the policies that are being implemented against people using the job centre or on universal credit that are being impacted in a big way. So we know that uh, food bank usage is obviously up a lot, but it increased dramatically when universal credit got rolled out. So the work I make is issue related and people related, and I'm really responsive to those things that frustrate me or I want to talk more about to raise awareness of things. So it starts with interviews and then it'll eventually develop probably into a performance installation. So that'll be an environment where people can perform and perhaps it looks a little bit similar to a job centre waiting room. And then there's the context of what we've talked about will play out in that situation. Amazing, thank you. So Kit, would you mind introducing yourself and your practice for us? Hi, yeah, I'm Kit. I, what do I do? Um, I'm a drag king, which is uh, like a male impersonator. Um, and I'm a researcher. And uh, I really like to make stuff out of paper. Um, I like to especially to make like massive, big origami boats, big enough for people to get in. I guess talking about those things, they sound a bit disparate and that there's probably not very much of a through line. Um, but for me, the sort of the thing that ties all those together and what really fascinates me is the usefulness of like the social usefulness of art and creativity um so i suppose that all of the things that i do and all the projects that i work on that's a kind of driving force through them that idea one of the projects that i'm working on at the moment which i've been working on for about two years is called the social practice surgery and it's a series of uh, opportunities for people who work in social practice or participatory art or community arts or whatever we want to call it, people who work with people. And it's like a series of opportunities for socially engaged artists to get together and chat about things that they find challenging about their practice and then together sort of work through that and uh, find some ways of managing those challenges. Um, and I guess yeah like David and Amelia I'm just really interested in people and interaction and storytelling and that's the stuff that makes me really excited about art and creativity. Brilliant thanks ever so much I mean it sounds like there are some really interesting sort of synergies between everybody's work I'm really curious to sort of unpick those a little bit more but I think I'll just dive right into can you tell us a little bit more or about how the notion of care informs your practice and I'll start again with, with David, if that's all right. Yeah, that's OK. Um, so care has become the subject for my current art project. I'm working on a series of images uh, which show what happened to me in 2017 in the November. I was taken into hospital for a large bleed um, and then treated for the anemia that it caused. So many people cared for me that I just I lost count. <laughs> I was trying to remember people's names, like right from the paramedics to the A&E staff, to the triage nurses, uh, then the doctors, the healthcare assistants. And I just, I forgot, I, I completely lost it. <laughs> but also the cleaners as well, like people who cheered me up each morning. Um, 
I was in there for a couple of weeks in the end, um, and I had more than my fair share of blood transfusions. So the images I'm making are sort of a tribute to all those people, the people that looked after me. And I'm trying to sort of unpick the interactions that I had with them and what they were doing on my behalf. I mean, not only did they sort of give me medication or transfusions or treatments or blood tests, but they also took the time to talk to me and to understand me as an individual. Um, and they showed so much compassion and sort of um, care. It's that word care that we're trying to get to grips with, really. So that's one, one aspect is sort of trying to show what happened and sort of say thank you, really. But what I've realized is that I'm also sort of giving myself a kind of therapy because I'm sort of putting all my memories into some kind of order. It was a real shock. Like one minute I was completely fully functioning, busy like everyone is and doing my work and being independent. And then the next minute I know I'm in hospital for quite a while, not too sure what's going on. And that loss of control was quite humbling. And I think that's probably something that a lot of people are going through at this moment. So there was that experience that I had. But since then, I've also seen so many family members going through hospital or receiving care, either at home or in a care home, that it's all kind of added into my memory. And I think it's sort of coming out piece by piece as I'm working through this series of images. So the kind of the care thing is, is just this issue that's come to me. I would never have chosen it as a subject. And when I told friends and family what I was doing, like towards the end of last year, they just looked at me like I was crazy. Like I should be out painting Pulteney Bridge like most artists around here, um, over in Bath and Bristol and wherever. But with with the COVID episode, like um, I feel like the work I'm doing has, has sort of taken on a bit more meaning. And now that so many more people are experiencing care, I, I'm taking the opportunity to really develop it because I think I've got something that I want to communicate really. And the painting and the printmaking is the way that I do that. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Thank you. That's that's super interesting. Amelia, can you tell us about how notion of care informs your work? It's interesting. Until you said, would you like to talk about care? I haven't put it into my practice necessarily as, as a word. But since you've asked me, I realise that actually it's completely embedded in my practice. And it's embedded in my practice because I'm interested in people and caring for people and what stories they would like to tell me. So actually, it's fundamental to everything that I do. I just hadn't really used that word before to describe it. So care also comes for me with a set of packages, and that particular package is ethics, I think. So I think to use care and ethics in tandem makes a lot of sense. So if I'm talking to people, I'm really caring for and respecting what they have to say to me, and I'm making sure that I am being respectful to them in return. Yeah, so it's all about ethics. It's about respecting what people are telling you. But actually, when you're talking to people, you're doing it in the most respectful way that you can be. So if they are in a vulnerable position, you're making sure that you're adjusting yourself to the set of circumstances that they need to happen. So it could be, and I've worked with people that perhaps speak Romanian and I speak English, you have a translator there. That's one ethic you take consideration for or one care that you take consideration for. And then if they are homeless, like in this particular situation, I made sure that we were talking somewhere that had shelter, somewhere that could offer them 
cup of tea and coffee and that they actually felt comfortable. So I was talking to a whole family at that point in time. And just the simple act of feeding them, looking after them, talking about everyday conversation rather than just jumping ahead five questions at a time, actually giving them time to unload is really important. So I think when we have such people facing practices, it's important that care is totally immersed within that because if you're going to talk to someone and you don't have that care in place you run the risk of harming them and that could be a harm that is just a verbal inconsideration but actually it's disrespectful to just jump in the deep end rather than taking the time and effort to respect someone's situation. Yeah I agree I think that's really important so I think we've got the sort of tension already coming out between or, or you know the contrast between work which is about care and work which is I guess informed by care or a logic of care which as you say you know it should should be embedded and instilled within our interactions with other people in art and beyond I think that's a really important point to make um Kit same question to you can you talk about care as it relates to your work yeah I think really similar um to Amelia it's uh it's less of a subject and more of a part of my process. And I think working alongside people in pretty much everything I do, I feel this duty of care and this sort of preciousness of, of people's well-being and also of people's stories. So it's not just about being care filled with other people and with interactions, but then it's also any of the things that come out of those interactions there needs to be kind of extreme care and, and tenderness and thoughtfulness with those things with those stories or those objects those emotions those ideas about the world um and it's something that i spend a lot of time thinking about although i guess also similar to amelia i probably hadn't named it as a part of my practice until relatively recently i guess maybe in the last six months or so i've started actually saying oh you know care is one of the things that I really think about and one of the things that is a big part of my practice although looking at my practice I, it always has been it's always been something that I've considered to be really important um, and put a lot of time and, and energy into I think for me it's a lot to do with planning and creating time and space for care to happen so when I'm considering how I might make a project happen and who's going to be involved it's really essential just to spend time thinking about where are, where are there going to be spaces for me to think about care and where are there going to be spaces for people to articulate how they're feeling and what they need out of a project thanks yeah Can I, I mean, come that... back on yeah uh... I think it's really interesting what Kit said about the aftercare of the work or the conversation as well, because that's equally as important as the care in the moment of creating the work or the conversation, whatever it might be. The aftercare, once you've put the artwork out there or the project out there, is equally as important because you've included these people within the work. It's so important that you frame it in the right context afterwards and that your care goes throughout the whole project. So it's not just exploitative at the end when you're releasing something that perhaps has people's voices in that you haven't 
agreed to share or whatever it might be. So I just think that care has to run the whole timeline of the work. So thank you, Kit, for mentioning that. Yeah, I, I agree. A really important point about about how how care should be, you know, not not a kind of something which is just done once and then forgotten about, but something which is you know embedded throughout. Absolutely. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are. I mean, taking care in quite a broad sense or as broadly as you wish to, what you feel about this idea of what taking care means right now in this era of social distancing um, and any sort of key issues around care that, that you wanted to to talk about you know, with the present situation in mind. And again, I feel like I'm being quite uh, prescriptive here, but I'm going to start with David, if that's all right, to talk about, about this idea of, of care and social distancing. Okay, <laughs> I get to go first again. Um, it's quite a big subject, this. Um, taking care. Um, I think we have to find new ways to give and receive care and new ways to look after ourselves as well. Um, care can sort of be a two-way process. I'm self-isolating at the moment for medical issues, and it reminds me a little bit of the time I was in hospital, just in the sense that you've got a physical limitation. Um, in the hospital, I didn't get further than the ward corridor, so at least at the moment, I've got a few more rooms to move around. One thing I wanted to mention that is that um, although we're all sort of feeling like um, self-isolation is something new, my mother-in-law has COPD lung disease, um, a condition that she's lived with for a number of years now. And she's living at home. She has a hospital bed in the front room. Her movements are very, very limited by her physical condition. And I'm conscious that there are thousands of people in her situation, both in their homes and in care homes, that, you know, for them, it's the norm. They can't move very far. They are distanced from the mainstream social activities and I suppose that there's a lot we can learn from them at this point in time and the way that they manage or don't manage um, and I think we should probably listen a bit more closely to their experiences and learn from them. Although we're socially distancing I suppose it doesn't stop us from talking to people, supporting people. We do the clap for carers each week here in, in my street and we are sort of trying to be caring caring as individuals towards each other. For instance, I've got a neighbour that I have contact with quite a lot and we're doing a meal share at the moment, sort of one of us will cook a, a meal one day and then the other one will swap and return the favour later in the week. In terms of key issues, um, I've just jotted a few down off the top of my head. Um, I think we need to make sure not only that we're safe, but all our key workers are kept as safe as they can be wherever they're working. I feel quite uneasy about calling people heroes because I think key workers are professionals and they just need to be given better resources to do their jobs, you know, to be kept safe. And I think that's a responsibility on all of us as a society. The other issue is that family and friends are separated. Speaking personally, my partner Mark is caring for his parents over in Wales. I'm here on my own in Swindon. My own family are up in the north of England. And it's going to be quite some time before we all get to see each other again. So there's that kind of physical issue of trying to be caring at the moment. And then finally, we're using technology at the moment to stay in touch and to do video chats. We're doing this podcast at the moment. But I'm conscious that for a lot of people, they don't have that technology. Not only older people, but also 
there are quite a few younger people who, who haven't got the access to the internet or to tablets to work with. So I'm conscious that their education is being disrupted and that they're probably going to fall behind. So, you know, so the, the um, social distancing is causing a number of inequalities that we have to be conscious of. Um, and we'll have to um, address those in the longer term, I think. Uh, so those are the bits that I've jotted down. Thanks. I mean, so many really important points made there. And, and one of the things that, that in the first point that you made about about um, the sort of importance of acknowledging that, that although for many, you know, able-bodied people, this is the first experience they might have had of, of having to work in isolation. That's an experience that has been pretty commonplace or, or very long term for people who have chronic illnesses and disabilities and we had a conversation I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago for this podcast with Chantal Powell and Beth Davis Hofbauer both artists who have experience of working at social distance on account of of, of illness and disability and, and and it was really interesting for me and eye-opening about the kind of lack of care really that the art world has historically shown to people with access issues and, and although things do seem to be opening up a little bit right now you know because of the the COVID-19 situation there's still a long way to go and, it, and this kind of the good work that is happening right now needs to be expanded you know as as the lockdown does finish because it's really emphasized or highlighted those issues that have been around for a long time. I'm gonna stop rambling myself and I'm gonna move on to Amelia uh, to talk a little bit about what your take on this idea of care in an era of social distancing if, if that's okay. From, from personal experience, I feel quite cared for in this time, actually. So in the first couple of weeks, we self-isolated because my son had a, a cough and a temperature. Of course, it was just a baby thing. I have millions of them from nursery. But actually, people left food on our doorsteps. We had a couple of cooked meals and just waved in the window. And it's times like that when I think, OK, there are wonderful people out there. Thank you for being my friends and neighbours. So. I think it can bring out the best in people times like this. But as you and David have both highlighted, there are a lot of people who have to rely on others on a more regular basis. And my mother is one of those people. So she has schizoaffective disorder, which builds quite a lot of anxiety into her life. So she would struggle with social situations and going outside. And recently the government uh, have balls up again and she's lost access to social experiences so there was a women's group that she was able to attend with a care worker which has now been cut due to the government's uh, financial reining in so she now has zero social contact apart from my sister and nephew who live with her so that's another person that's experiencing social isolation on a on a daily basis and has to rely on other people to get her food shopping, to cook for her. And if she didn't live with my um, sister and nephew, then she would be in total isolation, I think, actually. So it is important to talk about other people, and perhaps not ourselves, that are experiencing social isolation on, on a daily basis. On another note, I've, I've felt really inspired by a group of artists coming together who just came together to create a support network and it's partly financial because some of the artists in the group are actually really suffering right now. But actually, it's a support network. We've talked to each other about practice, about how we're feeling. And that simple question of asking, how are you actually feeling right now, makes a big difference, I think, because 
now more than ever, you're allowed to say, actually, I'm not okay. And I'm not okay because of X, Y, and Z. But I've been doing these other things other than the artwork I'm meant to be doing. And, and I'm okay with that. So I think the simple action of talking to somebody, genuinely asking how they're feeling, whether it's on Skype, over the phone, or through a window is, is really important. So I think if we are taking the extra effort to care for people right now, and beyond that, then we can just become stronger together, I guess. Yeah, I absolutely hope so. Kit, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think I, I just so much agree with um, what David said about social distancing isn't new, it's just new to some of us and that there are loads of people in the world who have been living in a socially distanced way for a very long time and they have like this amazing capacity to be able to share what those experiences are like and how to how to deal with that and I, I feel like there's a lack of that happening and it would be really great to see more of that and talking to people who have long-term experiences of this um, and how they've coped with it and what they need and how you know society can can kind of create those those opportunities I guess for me thinking about what it means what care means in a sort of like in a time when so many of us are, are social distancing I guess it was it's like a switch in focus and I suppose I despite the fact that I've organized my projects thinking about wider ideas of care my ideas of care in my own life are, are a lot to do with very close focus like microscopic kind of care and <laughs> care you know like daily care for my children and people who I'm very physically and emotionally close to and I just spend loads of time doing and thinking about that and social distancing has, has sort of switched that focus a bit and in, and I spend a lot of my time thinking about wider ideas of care and you know how all of us can care for our immediate community and then our wider community and our global community and I think probably that switch in focus will have quite a lot of repercussions for years to come for me in, in my practice and my life um, but I guess for, for a lot of people as well that it's just changed changed the perspective maybe of the way that that we think about that one of the things that I find really difficult about the you know the practice and ideas of care at the moment are those really nuanced experiences you have when you're physically with somebody and there's all this amazing communication that goes on that you just can't access digitally and I worry that I'm missing those little bits of information with people who I love and who I'm close to and that I'm missing bits of what's going on with them um, and that I'm not being able to respond appropriately because of that and I, I think obviously for me that's a an immediate concern about the people that I am close to and that I love but I, I have a wider concern about that because that will be happening for millions of people all the time. Um, and some of those people will be pretty self-aware and they'll have lots of support networks. And even if not everything gets picked up, most of it will. And eventually it'll sort of be fine. Um, but for some people, that that won't be the case. And that loss of that really intimate, nuanced very sort of specific communication you get when you're actually with somebody that will mean like a, 
a really dramatic, devastating loss in care for, for some individuals. And that idea really concerns me. And I, I think I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about how, what, what are ways around that? What are ways to manage that? Um, I don't have any solutions <laughs> at all, uh, but it's definitely something that, um, that I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently. Yeah, thank you. I think I think that's I mean, that leads really nicely into my next question about sort of how we might sort of seek to I, I mean, I guess address that because it's, you know, technology is wonderful, but there are obviously, you know, huge limitations to that. And, and as I think David said, and perhaps Amelia as well, you know, these that social distancing is not the same for everybody. It, 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 it's really highlighting some of the you know social inequalities that we we know are in our society but but this is you know is is really underlining them and you know I just just as an aside I just you know I feel really fortunate that I'm able to spend my own social isolation period with with my partner and 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 that's a safe situation for me which you know I'm I'm incredibly grateful for but I, I I found it really awful to think of friends I know and family members who are alone and how difficult it is just not to have a physical touch from somebody just a a, a hug or a you know a, a hand on a shoulder that kind of thing I, I know how, how important that would be for me and you can't replicate that through digital technology um so I so said my, my next question is sort of what if anything can we do at this time um to negotiate Care for others, I think, you know, is obviously really cru- crucial, but also self-care. This is something that's come out of a few of the conversations we've had for this podcast around, I guess, mostly on the idea of productivity. And for some people, this being a period that they're hugely productive and, you know, having kind of almost a, a break from from the, the, the hectic, you know, pressures of everyday life. And for others, it being the absolute opposite of that. And there being so many more things than, than ever to have to deal with. Um, and or, or just finding that this is not not a time that they're able to be product, productive and, and to having kind of uh, empathy with oneself for that, not putting huge amounts of pressure on yourself to to produce enormous amounts of work at this time. Any thoughts on how we might seek to negotiate self-care and care for others during this this unusual period in in public health? And just to, you know, switch things up, I'm going to go straight to Kit for that, if that's OK. Yeah, I I don't know. I think my view on self-care, care for others, is that it's a, it's a bit of a binary way to look at it. Um, and I, for me, I suppose I experience it in a more fluid, symbiotic way. And I, you know, I think there are some things that probably from the outside look like self-care, but are actually huge investments in other people. And then there are other things which look like, um, you know, really caring for other people, but actually they're enormously about me sort of tending to myself. Um, (laughs) I suppose that my experience of that is that it's not, those things aren't separate. They're all, they're all kind of mushed up together. And that by being caring and care-filled to other people, you're also doing that to yourself and you you know you're creating like a wider culture of care yeah so I, I suppose as a general thing I don't see a massive distinction between those two and yeah from the, from the point of view of, of what kind of caring for yourself might look like while all this is going on I yeah I do I've definitely seen some people putting a lot of pressure on themselves to be 
incredibly productive and I have mixed feelings about that I guess because because for some people a really good way of looking after themselves is to is to be really productive and to do loads of stuff and like to throw themselves into things but then for other people that's obviously that just doesn't work at all so I I think it's it's more to do with accepting your individual response to the situation and and just being with that and finding ways to to accept that and to understand that, that that's fine and also that it will fluctuate so I mean just for me I've had days where I've been like wow I'm gonna do everything I'm full of busy I'm gonna take on the world um, and then other days where I just haven't been able to I mean I've barely been able to function at all even string a sentence together um, so I think a lot of it is just about being flexible with yourself and with other people and not making assumptions. Thanks, really important points. Amelia, do you have any thoughts on the negotiation of self-care and care for others? Not necessarily the binary, I think that's a really important point to make and I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but, but you're absolutely right. But but just, yeah, any thoughts that you might have on 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 your own uh, balancing of those of those two things? I think I can understand a lot of what Kit said actually, because caring for myself is a lot harder than caring for other people and I don't know why that is but I think it's a lot harder to see in myself when I need to stop or change or do something that will benefit me and I don't know if that's just because I have caring responsibilities on a daily basis because I have a son so I'm always thinking about him I don't know if it's because I want to work for other people so I want to get their voices out there so I'm not thinking about what the impact of me hearing that information might be. So for me, it's interesting to be in this moment in time, which feels a bit surreal. So I'm back to basically near enough full-time childcare at the moment. So I've got a two-hour window, maybe one and a half-hour window, where I can make some lunch and then be productive, whatever on earth that means these days. So maybe it's uh, applying for something, which doesn't seem that productive because it takes an awful lot of time and then you're not really thinking or doing anything. And when you're making performance installations that could take a couple of years to develop, writing an application just doesn't seem that useful. So I'm trying to figure out what being productive means. I don't know if that's helpful for my well-being or if I should just relax and say, OK, you've got an hour and a half, watch some daytime TV, forget that you're an artist just for a little while, because this will come back around again, and then you can be in a better headspace to actually make some work. So I'm still juggling with those different things what care for me right now means. But I think as practitioners working with people, the care that we can do right now is our own activisms. So we can use our voices for other people. So that might just be raising money for your local food bank. It could be as simple as that, or it could be just talking to someone and seeing how they're doing. But I think just those small activisms in daily life is the way that we can care now, because we can't have those interpersonal relationships that Kit was saying, all those nuanced, bits of information are lost but we can still do little things using the channels that are available to us and those little things can hopefully turn into big gestures perhaps just raising money for a food bank getting people fed that's quite a big deal actually particularly in times when people are struggling to feed themselves yeah thank you for that David finally to you I, I agree with um, what Kit and Amelia have just said that's really interesting to hear your thoughts 
as Amelia was saying, I find self-care is quite tricky um, and it doesn't come naturally at times. I normally rely on Mark to tell me when it's 10 o'clock and it's time to get ready for bed. And I think for me, that is one thing I'm trying to do is just to get a good night's sleep. The days vary and um, as, as Kit was saying, you have to kind of accept how you are from day to day and not be too obsessed with your own productivity and what you're doing. We, we're so, so used to, um, we live in a culture of doing. Um, it's quite strange to shift and adjust to being, to just being actually, to, to just be rather than be doing all the time. Um, maybe that's something that we need to be learning more while we've got this opportunity at the moment. I do keep in touch with people a lot more at the moment. One way is social media, but I'm I'm limiting how much I use social media, really. And I'm trying to just use it as a way to be in touch with friends rather than being too competitive with how much and what I post on there. One thing I was going to say is I'm, I'm a member of our local church and we've been having virtual services each week, which has been interesting. And that's one way that I've kept in touch with a lot of people I know around Swindon. But I'd say whatever your beliefs and whatever your take on the world, I think it's good just to give yourself time to be mindful and time just to be, like to remember and be thankful for what we do have, all the good things um, that Amelia was saying. We are very cared for and supported in, at this moment in time um, in so many ways. I mean, I've got a couple of neighbours who are bringing me groceries from time to time. I am so grateful to them. I've never been in a situation where I rely on people in that way for my daily food. But it's taught me a lot that you also have to, um, in a way, you have to accept care as well as trying to give it and, you know, provide it to other people as you would normally do. Or, well, not as you would normally do, but in different and new ways, maybe more by phone and more by video chat these days. But it is it is interesting because it's making us question our relationships. Also, for me, making me think a lot more about my responsibility to be careful towards myself as well. So, yeah, a lot a lot of questions and quite an interesting time at the moment, I'm finding. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really wonderful to hear that this, you know, obviously really awful time in almost all objective levels has this kind of upside and, and that people are feeling cared for or, or sort of discovering or rediscovering the importance of care because I think I'm just speaking personally here but I, I don't feel like it's always an extremely caring world out there and I think with my next two questions I'm, I'm wondering if it might be possible to sort of combine them in some way because we've already touched on what one is how can we use our practice as artists to create an environment of care sort of at a distance from those that we work with and if there are any additional thoughts on that I'd, I'd be really interested to hear those but I'm also sort of as I say interested in in what the art world can do better to kind of take some of these lessons on if if, if we are you know doing a better job right now of, of taking care of ourselves and others how can we carry that forward once this immediate crisis ends so if I put that to Amelia to begin with, as I say, either either a comment on how we can use our practice to create an environment of care or and or how we might do that going forward as a kind of community of artists, how, how you know, how the art world might do this. I think actually some art organisations have been doing a pretty good job and that's redirecting their funds to people that really need it right now. So in 
my life, I'm also working at Eastside Projects. And this is going to sound like I'm really blowing the trumpet for Eastside Projects. But actually, on this occasion, I am because I think they're doing a good job. So they've just released a care package to their artist members, which is £100. And you don't have to apply for an artwork. You don't have to apply for anything art related. You can apply for your rent, you can apply for groceries, whatever it is that you need that £100 for right now, you can apply for it. And that comes out of a policy that was created last year or the year before with Rohana Zaman, which is a care package that's written into every artist contract, which is £75 for you to support your well-being whilst you're working with Eastside Projects. So that could be that you need bit of counselling during that time or you need to go swimming to unwind after every day at the gallery whatever that might be so it's actually extending that policy into wider support for artists so those artist members that have been paying their dues on a monthly basis can now take that money back out and claim it for themselves for whatever it might be that they need right now so I am blowing a bit of Eastside's trumpet right now but I think actually that's because they're doing a good job so credit where it's due and I've been furloughed so I can't take credit for the work that they are doing right now just to put that in context. So I think if organisations can carry on supporting the people that support them after this crisis then actually we're going to be looking at much more holistic way of supporting people seeing art, people working within the arts, people receiving the arts. So like the whole circle of who is experiencing, working, delivering, receiving this art. So, so when we're going into a gallery, we're being cared for, but we're caring back for the organisation. And equally, the staff in the organisation are being cared for. So, so just think about the, all the many different connections that make up what this art world is and how we can come together to support each other. If we can make that a longer term thinking process, then I think that the art world can actually become a much more caring environment. But it's going to take a lot of organisations and individuals shifting their mindset to allow that to happen. Yeah, you, you make a good point. And I'm, I'm duty bound to say uh, as an Actors Web representative that we also have our own uh, hardship fund that we set up about six weeks ago, I think now. And 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 similarly, it's, it's for any members. You don't have to justify why you need it. We wanted it to be kind of totally no strings attached and... We're trying to to extend that as long as we can uh, to support as many artists as possible. Same question to to Kit, if that's all right, around this idea of creating an environment of care, how arts organisations can can keep up the good work or or to do more. Any thoughts on that? I think at the beginning I mentioned a project that I've been working on with uh, with another artist, Dan Russell, the the social practice surgery. And at the very beginning of that project one of the first like surgeries workshops that I did uh, was with a group of people and I'd sort of asked the group what can we do to make sure that our our projects and our organizations and things are um are more kind of emotionally engaged and somebody who was who was at the session said this great thing um which I've totally taken to heart and I say to other people um loads and uh, and they said it's really important to build in a beat of pauses in every project and I thought oh that's such a lovely expression isn't it this idea that 
projects don't just have to be like this onslaught of activity, frantic activity. Um, and actually, it's really great to right from the beginning think we're going to build in pauses. Um, and in those pauses, those are that's a great opportunity to explore things like care. And so that's that's something that I've definitely started really thinking about in terms of my own projects. And I think it's great for organizations to think about that too. And I and I think you can you can really tell the organizations who kind of allow themselves to to do that and to build in periods of of pause and reflection um to spend time considering how the things they're doing are affecting people and I, I just think that's you know, like really massively important I guess one of the things that I suppose we've all kind of touched on a bit as well is uh, is vulnerability and and like the importance of vulnerability in all of this and I think in my practice probably for years I was quite scared of the idea of being vulnerable and talking about my personal experiences and that's become less and less so uh, over over recent years um, and I've just found that I, I have a nicer time my work's more effective I connect better with people since I've started being more vulnerable and I think that's true of organizations as well so I definitely feel that I have better relationships with organizations and I have more respect for organizations who say you know we're vulnerable we're we're fallible we do make mistakes in fact we made this mistake right here um, and this is how it affected everybody involved and and this is what we're going to do to to um try and manage stuff like that in the future and that really makes me feel like involved in decisions that organizations make it makes me feel like they're real um <laughs> and that they're yeah that they're human and i guess that's a big thing as well thinking about how organizations can be more caring I guess that in some ways we still have this real Victorian idea of what an arts organization or an institution is and it's like a big building with stuff in it and policies and yeah this reputation to withhold and all of that stuff and I and to uphold and I just think oh that's uh that's just not a very useful model of being an organization or an institution and to me organizations aren't that organizations are organic and they're human and they're lively and they're beautiful and they're flawed and that's great and that's what will make them work and that's what will make them more useful and interesting and engaging and I just think the more that arts organizations can really think about themselves in that way the better they will be at caring for everybody involved yeah so not just talking about artists talking about staff and volunteers and people who come and get involved in projects and visitors and everyone yeah there's, there's a lot to be said for acknowledging our vulnerability as individuals and and as organizations i think sort of coming coming to terms with with the possibility of, of our own failures and, and being open about that is is so important and i think that is something which can come from the top down, it, you know, it, we we often expect artists to acknowledge their failures, but but we don't see that modelled by institutions, and I think that that is definitely something that could be could be improved on going forward for sure. David, have you got any thoughts on on creating an environment of care and and keeping the care that we have at this time going uh, forwards in the art world? 
Yeah, thank you. I was just going to thank um, Kit and Amelia. The, the couple of words I jotted down there that they brought up were um, organic and holistic. I think holistic's a really important word. And I'd like to see organisations being a bit more encouraging of artists. We're not just um, people they make money from. I'd like organisations to remind artists that there's a value to the, the practices that we have. I know we're not key workers per se, but we do have a contribution to make to society, um, both in our local areas and nationally. I also wanted to just bring up um, a point that um, Beth Davis-Hoffbauer mentioned in the previous podcast, that um, I think the big, the big Victorian arts organisations <laughs> that we've just discussed, they do well to use this time now to really rethink access to their resources, their events, and their buildings for people of all backgrounds and all those with disabilities, whether that's a physical or a non-visual disability. If they can do that, then I think we'll be in a better space going forwards in the long term. And why not make more available online anyway? You know, if we can, if we can view exhibitions and events now online, why isn't that normal? You know, we can't all afford to get to London to see something prestigious. There might be people who would value that experience but just cannot get there so that's worth thinking through I think at this point in time. On the local level um, here in Swindon we've just got a little project um, we're doing instead of Swindon Open Studios we're going for Swindon Open Windows this year so um, at the moment I've got a piece of artwork in the front window um, with just the message to say thank you to all the key workers um, and I do mean all the key workers. Um, we, we think first of the hospital workers, but there's a lot of people in warehouses, a lot of delivery drivers, a lot of supermarket staff who are working really hard at this moment. The other thing I'm doing is just, I'm doing quite a lot of drawing at the moment just to think through all those different key workers and what they're doing. Um, and I'm just trying to post one a week to say thank you, really. I'm not particularly inventive. I just keep saying thank you each week. Thank you, thank you. That's all I can think of, really. And I'm in awe of some hospital staff who, who work 12-hour shifts anyway. We, we don't pay homage to that very often, but it is an extraordinary job that they do day on, day, day on. So that's quite, I find that quite gratifying in a way to be able to use my art for uh, just a thank you, really. The trouble with the art world is that we are very competitive and we do, in a, do sort of struggle for funding in all areas, no matter what our practice tends to be. And I don't know whether that's just the way that things work in Britain, or if that's the same across different countries. I'd be interested to hear um, what Kit and Amelia have, you know, whether they have any take on that. We have to kind of um, know what it is that we do as individuals and be able to focus on that and to try and keep our, our sense of what is important, despite the way the world operates around us um, and, and again keep those two words um, holistic and organic in mind really and just try to be informed by that. Thanks I just want to open the mics for a minute in case there's any anything anyone wants to to add or to say before we before we go. I think I just want to say that I've actually really enjoyed talking about this it's not necessarily a conversation I would have naturally as we discussed earlier, attributed to my practice, the word care, but actually listening to it from all these different perspectives, I found it 
really nourishing just to hear what everyone's got to say and how really different it is per individual person like David really receiving the care that's really quite warming to hear and then Kit and I I think we've got a lot of similarities perhaps in the way we choose to work and it's just really nice to hear how Kit's coming about it as well. Yeah thank you I agree with you Amelia it's really good to have this conversation it's not one we get to have very often. Yeah it's brilliant and I love that idea of nourishing um, and the and I think I've, that's something that has happened loads actually since lockdown to me that there have been these situations these like nourishing situations that wouldn't necessarily have been offered or happened but because I guess there's a sense that we're all going through something pretty colossal everyone's keen to offer opportunities to each other to to get together and to to nourish and that's really lovely um and I hope that that can continue beyond this yeah the amount of collectives that seem to have formed just to support one another I think it fills me with a lot of hope for the future that there are people wanting to get together and help each other through whatever situation it might be. Thank you so much. It's been such an interesting conversation. And I, and I yeah, I, I, I echo, I echo everybody's points about, about feeling kind of nourished by it. It's, it's been, yeah, really, really good to hear your different perspectives on it. And uh, I think it will, I, I think it will be a really interesting podcast for our listeners as well. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited to, to share this one. Um, is there anything else just before I hit, you know, the, the off button on the record and we can we can turn our, our, our videos back on? Is there anything last thing or it's fine if there isn't? Yeah, I, th I think right at the beginning, you said something about the art world's lack of care. And I think this is this situation has kind of shown like some astonishing, amazing things and some pretty dreadful things. Um, and I guess that I. It, we've kind of touched on it already but wouldn't this be a brilliant opportunity especially for organizations who maybe feel they could be doing things differently to just go for it because it's such an extreme search situation and, and we've all had to suddenly do things really differently um and we've mostly found that actually oh hey guess what oh we, we can do things differently <laughs> um and so as that's happening wouldn't this be like a really brilliant moment for organizations to think actually yeah we can do things very very differently you know we have been doing we've been forced to but we can take that energy and that creativity and really change the processes that we use to 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 deal with the world and to create work yeah that's really good well said kit i've written a little poem i don't know if you're interested in hearing it Definitely. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> You'll laugh. This came out at 11 o'clock on Sunday night. I was feeling really angry. It's a bit raw, but I'll, I'll read it if you like. Yeah, please do. Um, it's called For the People. For the people we're getting to know in this time of isolation. The neighbours who sing lullabies to their daughter. The neighbours who argue and struggle. Neighbours bring me my shopping. Neighbours wave at me every Thursday as we clap at eight o'clock. Other people we're learning to respect in this time of fear, the carers who earn so little but risk so much, the scientists we usually ignore, working always to find cures, teachers who fight to encourage the generations in debt, hospital staff we honour but fail to protect. Other people we're struggling to love in this time of confusion, the family members we call 
that cannot embrace, the reporters we hear perhaps too often, decision makers we blame for every life lost, the fraudsters, the fly tippers, the flouters of lockdown, but other people are what make us whole. Other people are still there, whatever the distance. We need to listen and understand more than statistics. Compassion and consensus must guide us from here on. COVID must teach us how to live as one. I couldn't really think of a more perfect way to end. A wonderful way to end indeed. A huge thanks to Amelia Hawke, Lady Kit and David Robinson for their thoughtful and generous contributions this week. For more details about each of the featured artists, check out the Live Out Loud webpage at www.axisweb.org. Thanks also to Andrea Frank, an artist who's doing some wonderful work on care and who lent us her thoughts and expertise during the planning of this episode. And many thanks to you for joining us. I hope we'll see you again next week for a very special takeover episode by Radha Patel and Suzanne Dalliwell, thinking about radical care and why rest matters. A real antidote to the hyper-productivity narrative that so many of us are feeling pressured by right now. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that you can join the conversation online at any time, including posing questions to our interviewees using the hashtag LiveOutLoud on any of AxisWeb's social media sites. You can also share anything you've been getting up to during lockdown using the hashtag ShareWithAxis. It's incredible seeing all the different activities of our members and we love being able to signal boost for the brilliant work that you're doing. Stay safe and take care out there. Goodbye.